At Echelon Front, we are really lucky because we get to talk to leaders in every capacity and learn how they take the principles of extreme ownership and apply it in their life so that they not only see the impact within their own world, but in the lives of the people around them. I'm Jamie Cochran. I'm taking over the podcast this month, and I'm really excited about our guest today. Her name is LaTanya Sumter. Let me tell you a couple things about LaTanya. LaTanya is the talent development manager at Smithville Foods. She's also runs her own consulting business. She's the CEO of Sumter Consulting, where she helps people understand the power of building relationships, and more importantly, how to build those relationships so that you can have a high-performing winning team. My favorite thing about LaTanya, just like me, she's a mother of three beautiful daughters and a wife, and we're going to talk a lot about these principles in the corporate world, in business, but also at home with her family and the lessons that she's learned. I'm very excited to welcome Latanya to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. We've worked together for a few years now, and I tell you, it's just, it's just really an honor. It is so exciting for me. I obviously I'm kind of taking over. This is Leif's podcast, but <laughs> I had this idea and I was like, Leif, we got to get LaTanya. You're out in Virginia where I live. So it made sense to bring Noah out here and kind of capture this conversation because people need to hear from you. I remember the first time that I met you, which was virtually, yes. I had heard about you long before I met you in this vi- video conference. Uh, Dave Burke had been talking about you over and over because we were doing work with your company mm-hmm. and your name would come up constantly and he would talk about you and I would think man like I, I gotta meet this girl someday Who because is this yes <laughs> yes um and our whole team just had positive things to say about you and then when we started the women's assembly we started thinking about potential guests your name came up again mm-hmm. and Meg from our team reached out and kind of coordinated details with you and I hopped on a zoom call one day in prep we were just gonna walk through your agenda mm-hmm. and I got on and within the first four minutes I was like this is gonna be so good <laughs> because you immediately had this energy that was so infectious and you were so sincere and so authentic and I was so excited to have you on ended up being one of our top rated women's assembly and you brought the heat that day and I love what you had to say all the things that you've been through and all the ways that you take extreme ownership Mm -hmm. and you weave it into your life and you use your own language to do that and I just it, it was it was amazing so I'm excited for everyone else to get to know you so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and you know how you got how you got here yeah so I grew up in a very small community called Berkeley and it is in Norfolk I um I went to school there very impoverished type neighborhood so we didn't have a lot of money but I tell you what the community always would come together and we'd have all kinds of um, block parties and fish fries I mean just all kinds of things so I didn't really know that I was poor (laughs) until much later on (laughs) because I I was rich in community and I am one of four siblings so I have um, an older brother a younger sister and a younger brother. So very, you know, close knit type You're right family. there in the middle. <laughs> I am right there in the middle. But I will tell you, being the oldest girl meant some responsibilities of for course. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I um, very early on, I got a sense of, I want to do something different. And I wasn't quite sure of what that would look like. But I knew that better was going to be my story in some form or fashion. And so I would go to school and I would have mentors and teachers, principals who would look out for me. And I remember actually fifth grade, 
when my principal came to me and she's not even here anymore, but she said, Latanya, if you get straight A's, I will take you shopping. And for a little girl like me mm-hmm. who had never even been to the mall before, this was a big deal. Of course. Okay. And so I, <laughs> I remember working really hard and I got straight A's. I went into her office, and back then, you know, things were very different. You could speak to the principal as a student anytime you wanted. So I went into her office, and I said, Miss Wilson, look, I got straight A's. And she said, it looks like somebody's going shopping. Yes. And, and that was a defining moment for me that taught me, hey, if you persevere, if you work hard, those A's didn't just jump off the page and land in my lap, right? I had to go get those A's. But there was some reward on the other side of that. And so from there, I just continued to, I wanted it. I wanted it. And I continued to have teachers who believed in me, people around me who would kind of cheer me on, even when I didn't quite know um, what to do, or I didn't quite know how to get to that next level of excellence. I had people who would pour into me and say, LaTanya, you do this. LaTanya, what about this? Um, Another kind of defining moment within that time frame was my studying at Yale. So I, I got a chance to study at Yale University for a program, and it changed my life. Was this now in high school? So I am now in high school. Okay. I kind of want to back up a little bit because in between that journey, I actually got pregnant at 14. Actually, I was pregnant at 13 a month before my 14th birthday. So that December, I'm pregnant, and now I'm 14 that January and I am thinking, okay, things just got real serious, right? And I probably shared this story before, but I reached out to some teachers and some people who had been kind of mentoring me. And one in particular, she said, LaTanya, I just wanna let you know that your life is like over. Mm. And she said, I know that you've had all of these big plans to go to college and to do more, be more, but there's not a school that's going to accept you with that baby. And um, I I just was hurt. That's just not, not even another word to describe how I felt. Never mind that you're 14. I'm 14. You are now dealing with something I cannot even fathom mm-hmm. at 14. I have a 14-year-old. Yeah. That, that is a whole new world. And what you need yeah. in that moment is some encouragement and some absolutely leadership. <laughs> you do. Yeah. You absolutely do. And you need someone who can believe probably at a level that you can't see in that moment. And that is purely leadership, Mm -hmm. right? So being able to have the foresight and the vision to say, yeah, I know that there are some challenges right now, but you are great and you will be okay. And I just remember not having a lot of claps. So what happened from there? And I I actually love you telling this story because this is one of those moments I had met you and and my understanding of who you were was really based on our work with your organization in this professional Mm -hmm. setting. And you came out the the gate with this story and I thought, (laughs) 
14 years old yeah. having to make a decision is so incredibly inspiring for those people to, hey, all the problems and stuff I dealt with at 14 go out the window when you look yeah. at this this situation you had to go through. Um, and what I loved is, and I think it's important to tell, uh, the topic of your first session was, if you want it, go get it. Yeah. So what happened there? How did that play out, that mantra of, if you want it, go get it in your yeah. life? Well, it it definitely did. <laughs> um, I I just, again, knew better. I knew that I could do better, be better. Um, I knew that it would take some work, but I just wanted it, mm -hmm. Jamie. And I wanted it not just for me, but I wanted it for my daughter. And I wanted her to see that no matter what, we keep going. We are relentless, okay? We are unstoppable. We make things happen. Yes. And um, and so I did. I just continued to work hard. I still kept straight A's. Um, I still participated in after-school activities. I was president of National Honor Society, bell president of Future Business of America. Like, I just... You went and got it. I went and got <laughs> it, okay? So now this opportunity comes up to study at Yale. My daughter is like two, maybe three. And Yale, I'm in Virginia. Yale is in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how in the world? I had a guidance counselor who I still keep in touch with today who wow. said, LaTanya, we're going to make this happen for you. And so anyway, it cost a lot of money. And I had zero dollars. <laughs> and a two-year-old. <laughs> and a two-year-old. And zero dollars. Did I mention that? <laughs> we, um, he reached out to every single news station and every single newspaper in the area. And he said, somebody's coming. And I said, well, who do I give my story to? He said, whoever gets here first. And I said, well, what do I tell them? And he said, you just tell them your story. You just tell them that you are a teenage mother who just wants to be something for yourself and your daughter. Long story short, I did end up getting more than enough money to study at Yale. People donated computers. People offered babysitting services, all kinds of things. I studied. Um, I got all A's at Yale. Um, I got to speak at the United Nations in New York. So it's here that I learned and that I had a love for oratory because I started entering oratorical contests mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And yet I do have a two-year-old. And you know what? We just worked it out. You made it work. We made it work. I love that story. And you ended up, if I remember correctly, you ended up being the first in your family to go to college. The very first person yeah. to graduate from college. Um, I graduated from William & Mary. So <laughs> I still can't believe that, um, that that was my life, but I did. And I remember the very, first, the very last exam that I took, I was a, like I said, I was a government major. And after that exam, I stood on the steps of Morton Hall and I let out the loudest scream. Because <laughs> I could not believe that I, I couldn't even believe that I completed this in those four years with scholarships and all of the things. And my daughter was at my graduation. How old was she at that time? She was about, when I graduated college, she was about eight. Yeah, she was about eight or nine. That is really special. Yeah. So 
you want to go get it. This is your theme. That's my 14 theme. with a baby. You yes. go through this, this, this journey, you graduate mm-hmm. college. How has that theme of if you want to go get it played out since then? It has basically been my mantra, right? Which is why these principles of extreme ownership resonate so strongly with me because I see the value of, again, just pushing ahead, right? Being default aggressive. And again, that doesn't mean being aggressive over people. That doesn't mean I just get it however I can. It does mean making good decisions though and investing in myself and having the thought process of this is going to work for me in some form or fashion and being able to model that for my daughter. So I was the first person to graduate college. That daughter that I had at 14 She was the second person in my family to graduate college. She has a degree from UNC Chapel Hill. Um, Yeah, information science. And then since then, I have had a couple of other children, as you mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have an 18-year-old who is now in college. She's at um, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. Cool. And listen, it's amazing what happens when you just decide within yourself that no matter what, we don't give up. And no matter what, excellence is the standard and we go after what we want. I love that. That for me is such an amazing definition of what extreme ownership really is. We're going to own this. We're going to own this bad situation. Hey, we're 14. We got a baby. This is a whole new world, but we're going to own that. We're going to own the next step in our life. We're going to own what we do and how we respond. Um, And this mantra, this, if you want to go get it, which I wrote down, it's on my computer because it's just such a cool little tagline. And it ties so perfectly into that idea and that mindset that we teach at Echelon Front of default aggressive. Mm -hmm. We have to solve problems. We have to seize an initiative. We have to look for those opportunities and we can't delay action. To your point, this is not about being aggressive towards people. And there's a lot of people that get hung up on the word of mm-hmm. that mindset but this mindset is simply looking at things as opportunities as opposed to obstacles for sure um, which your story is obviously a really good example of that for sure you know at my core I just believe that life happens for me and not to me yeah and so all of these examples and all of the things that I've been through and it's not been an easy ride but it builds me up it strengthens me in some way so no matter what I'm always looking for wow, why is this happening for me? What do I need to grasp from this moment? And if we're able to do that, we just get better. There's a lesson in everything. Yes, I love that. Again, that for me is such a cool foundation of extreme ownership. That's what we mean. Mm -hmm. We have control over these situations. And when you cast blame, when you push the responsibility to other people, you give up your control to actually determine the outcome. And ownership is about accepting those things, taking ownership of how we respond, taking ownership of our emotions mm-hmm. and our attitude mm-hmm. and figuring out a way to solve these problems. Yeah. Love you it. Know, in us lie the problems, but in us also lie the solution. And if we're able to kind of dig past and kind of weave past all of the things that we don't want and just look at the things that we do, right? It's like if I can imagine something better, something bigger, something stronger, something more of the best version of me, then I can attain that. And that's not, again, just for me, that's for my daughters. That's for anybody that's attached to me. I just really believe that. 
I love that. It's very clear that you've had a very strong sense of self mm-hmm. growing up. And you talk a lot about how, hey, a lot of people's leadership journeys start with this self-awareness. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about how important that self-awareness is that mm-hmm. you obviously cultivated at a very young age? Yeah. So self-awareness is all about understanding my triggers, right? So it's understanding what makes me happy, what makes me sad, what makes me frustrated, and then being able to redirect that into a more positive direction. But if I have no idea how I come across to other people. If I have no idea of the perceptions that I hold that maybe triggers biases and all of those things, then I can't do anything about it. But I have to spend some time with myself. And you know, Jamie, we spend a lot of time getting to know other people. We know their favorite colors. We know their history. We know all about them. But I just wish that we would invest as much of that time into ourselves. It's very important. We don't get to build relationships. We don't get to learn how to set aside our ego. We don't get to um, just understand how to get our mission done if we're not aware of how we come across, if we're not aware of our tone, if we're not aware of kind of our spacing and how we show up in the world. You have to know that about yourself. Absolutely. We we talk a lot with our clients and people we work with about your ability and the biggest component of this idea of checking your ego, being mm-hmm. able to subordinate your ego is for the purpose of taking what we call a brutally honest self-assessment. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to take that self-assessment. We need to be able to seek and accept feedback Yes. because if we're not effective in the way we're communicating with people, it always goes back on us. There's something we are doing mm-hmm. that's contributing to this disconnect. Um, and the, the talk about, you know, under understanding your triggers, that plays out a lot in how we talk about the principle of prioritize and execute. And the component of that is learning how to detach from our emotions, Mm -hmm. not being emotionless. You talk a lot about empathy and that's a clear component for how you build relationships. Mm -hmm. But we have to be detached from our ego, from our emotions, the things that cloud our vision to see the truth of what we're trying to solve, to see the truth in the challenges that we're facing. And when we can recognize those red flags, Mm -hmm. we can better detach from them so they don't get in the way. Yeah, we literally don't make our best decisions in an emotional state. So one of the things that I teach with emotional intelligence is that our emotions are data, not directives, right? So they are an indication of something, but they cannot run the show. And the moment we let our emotions run the show, we always, and I mean, all of us have examples of sending text messages or sending emails or calling people or just not taking a moment to think about it. And we always regret it later. And so the thing of it is, is if I can just take a moment to kind of relax and look around and make a call Mm -hmm. from that space, I get better outcomes. And I think that's different for different people. We we talk to people all the time. The way you detach is totally different based on your personality. For, for some sure. people, it's taking a breath. For some people, it's taking a step back. I will actually sort of put myself in time out with my kids sometimes. If I feel <laughs> the emotion rising and I know that this is not going to have a good impact in this conversation, I can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a few minutes because I'm getting a little emotional. Just give me a chance to think about this a little further. It's, you know, what we see a lot in the corporate world. It's responding to the email, all caps, see all in red. Oh, my gosh. Don't do it. (laughs) And then, you know what? 
maybe writing the email, taking your hands off the computer, mm -hmm. taking a walk, and then coming back and realizing there is a better way. I saw um, one of my favorite clips, it's this YouTube clip. I, it was like some, it went viral, but it's this mom in the closet and she's eating licorice. And she's just like, sometimes I just need a break. And she pans the camera down to under the door and she's got twin daughters like <laughs> on the other side, like crying. And I loved it because I'm like, that's such a powerful example of detachment. Sometimes we have to lock ourselves in a closet and eat licorice because we need a moment because we can't control our feelings. Those are things that are valid. And to your point, they're data points. What we can control is how we yeah. respond and the actions we take to solve those problems. And yeah. that starts with recognizing that our emotions are not going to help us in that situation. It's very true. And that's with parenting. That's with marriage. That's with wherever you are. Everything. You know, wherever you go, just know you take yourself with you, yes. right? So, <laughs> and so it's really important for you to understand that. And that is self-awareness, right? Understanding that in this moment, I, I need a moment. I need a moment to reflect. And I'm not going to push forward without getting that moment. Because if I do bad things happen. Yep. Yeah. We refer to, we use this phrase at Echelon Front, detachment is a superpower. And I believe that to my core because I've seen it time and time again. Mm -hmm. When I jump the gun, when I make decisions, when I am emotional and I raise my voice or I'm not in control, I do not make good decisions. Nobody does. But detachment gives me this opportunity because I am now detached from the situation. It's the same thing in meetings. Mm -hmm. If I sit back and I just shut my mouth and I just <laughs> listen and I get to be from this detached perspective, I can see the answers so clearly. It's very true. It's a game changer. So yeah. it's very hard to do though, especially at home with our kids and our spouse where emotions and ego run much higher. Yeah. But it's so important. Yeah. I mean, it, but it is a learned behavior. So it is something that we can learn. We may not be born with it <laughs> because I mean, I think about when we're born and I want something and I cry. Yes. Right. And I you want get something it and I time. get it. And it's like, oh, this works. Right. Only we learn that it doesn't later on. It doesn't bode us well to have temper tantrums. And we definitely know adults that have temper tantrums and everybody just wishes that they would just take a moment, like use your words, yes. right? <laughs> and and use them effectively. And sometimes that is me stepping back. Sometimes that's me reflecting. I know with my children, it is my understanding the mission with them, which is the most important thing is keeping the relationship mm -hmm. intact. My, old, my middle child, the 18-year-old, she sends me a picture, I guess it was Saturday, and she says, I think I want to cut all of my hair off. And in the picture is a lady with a very low fade that's probably around her age. And I am deep breathing like never before. <laughs> I am like, oh my gosh, because this is going to be a slippery slope. Yeah. Then she's going to want it to be colored and blah, blah. So I am just like, so I talked to my husband and we determined, you know what? They're bigger fish to fry besides her hair, you know? Do I want her to? No, I don't. I don't tell her that. She's probably going to listen to this now and she'll know I don't yeah. want her to. <laughs> Which don't. will either drive her to do it or, or it'll be change your mind. It depends on the day. But you know what? Either way, it's not going to yeah. be my business, yep. right? I am just thinking of I want her to finish school, so I need her grades to be intact, and I need our relationship to stay intact because what I do know is that as your children get older, 
your um, your position with them changes, right? Your responsibility with them changes. And so she doesn't need me to tell her and micromanage every single little thing that she does. Who cares mm-hmm. if, you know, she has no hair? <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it, we talked about this earlier before the podcast, but what I love about these conversations is that you see the principles of extreme ownership interwoven mm-hmm. in all these little scenarios. So in Leadership Strategy and Chacti- Tactics, Jocko has a chapter and the title of the chapter is literally Don't Care. <laughs> and it's this idea to your point of, is this something that I want to potentially create a disconnect between me and this other person and, in, and impact our relationship? Yeah. Or am I just not going to care? Yeah. <laughs> and you that's can a make a decision. Thing. Yes. And it's so interesting because one of the things that I have just learned is that we have so much power within ourselves that we forfeit. Mm. on a daily basis and it is Latanya you can determine that that is not important just like with my husband I can determine that you know what this is not going to ruin the whole weekend (laughs) right (laughs) and and with him and we can talk about him but (laughs) he's amazing (laughs) but it is the idea of I just know that if he knew that this would upset me in such a way, he wouldn't do it because that is not his goal. That is not his mission. And so because of that, I'm able to just be like, yeah, I'm not really going to care about this. <laughs> so let's actually talk about that for a minute because one of my favorite things, you've been on the Women's Assembly twice mm-hmm. now, just total fire both times, mm-hmm. loved them. Um, and one of my favorite things about having you on as a guest is that every time your husband has joined <laughs> and he shows up, he's full camera, he's there, and he is in your court. You can watch him. I love when you're talking to watch him because mm-hmm. there is such a sense of pride. He's cheering you on. When you finish, you see him like raise a fist. He's so excited. And I love watching that. And there's a clear connection of, of support in that relationship. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that relationship and maybe how these principles yeah apply and helping other people have that kind of relationship with their spouse because it was definitely something to aspire to (laughs) well you know interestingly enough my husband um, he's never been married didn't have children or anything before we got together Um, I knew him about 30 years ago so actually before we reconnected the last time that I spoke with him I was pregnant with my daughter your, so when, the when you were young. Daughter. Okay, yes. got it, got it. So I was about probably 14 or mm-hmm. so the last time that I spoke with him. And so fast forward, we've both gone through a lot of life. <laughs> we reconnect about eight years ago, about seven or eight years ago. And when people say, I've been waiting on you my whole life, <laughs> you kind of just think this is a cute little pickup line, Right. He treats me like he's been waiting for me his entire life. He does not treat me like, you know what, I'll just go get another one. Um, His support is unparalleled. Uh, I have absolutely had assignments or things that I needed to do that I, listen, I work through nerves. I am anxious. I'm mostly scared uh, a lot. (laughs) And people would not know that. Yeah, I would not have ever noticed that. No, just trust me on that. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes you can feel the gravity of what you're about to do. And that moment will echo in other areas. And whenever I feel that sense of gravity, it makes me just 
oh my gosh. Fortunately, he is always there and he's able to talk me through it. And hey, Latanya, you know you were born for this moment. You know you were equipped for this very moment. Your best is always good enough, right? And being able to kind of reel me in and remind me that, you know, you don't have to put on any airs. You don't have to put on any shows. You just have to tell the truth. And you got the truth in you, right? So, um, no, he is absolutely very supportive. And just helping me and walking alongside me in this journey is is amazing. So, yeah, um, lots of communication. You could see all of that in like a Zoom call. I could see his face and I'm like, man, he adores this woman. It's so, it's I've, so evident. I've never felt so adored, so loved, so cared for. Um, his words, so he's a very simple communicator, but he means what he says. Um, I've never heard him raise his voice, um, speaking of relationships, right? And those things that are important um, to me. I have a you know boatload of trauma when it comes to raising voices and he's just he just does not. And he's able to communicate in a way that I can be receptive of that. And sometimes that is some feedback, right? Sometimes that is some, hey, we need to work on these things. But the trust factor then kicks in where it's like, you know, he kind of has my best interest at heart, probably more than anybody else. Mm. Um, he loves me for me and not what I do. And when you think about work and um, performance reviews, and, and they're just that, right? It's based on your ability to perform and produce an outcome. For him, it's just based on who I am. I love that. And again, like as you're talking, there's all these things that are firing <laughs> in my mind because obviously I live and breathe in this extreme ownership yes. world. And even your point, so simple around communication. Mm -hmm. He communicates with you in a way that's effective. And the way that we do that is that we adjust the way we communicate to the people Very that we're true. communicating to. Yeah. And people miss that a lot in the way that they communicate, especially in spousal relationships. Yeah. It's easy to say, well, this is the way I am. This is how I'm going to communicate. And then be frustrated when it's not effective or we're not mm -hmm. getting the impact that we want. And so I love that you even notice, even in this situation, in this spousal relationship, he can adjust the way he communicates in a way that's going to help you understand and be able to communicate effectively. I love that. Well, and it's part, it's getting to know each other, right? So when we talk about relationships and we talk about teamwork and this whole notion of how is it that we're able to work together? And again, this is work, this is parenting, this is spousal relationships. It is, I have to get to know you because that's how I'm able to adjust if I have no idea about who you are, what you value, I'm pretty much just guessing. And sometimes I hit the, you know, bullseye and sometimes I don't. But if I am wanting to basically get it right most of the time, um, I have to spend some time getting to know who that person is, what they value. And that's how you build the trust. That's how you build relationships. And that's how you get the outcomes that you want. 
Absolutely. That's why cover and move is the first lock because yes. you have to have relationships for the rest of that to work. You have to have these relationships. Um, and one of the best examples I have is I have two bosses. I have Leif Babin and Jocko Willink. <laughs> and through building relationships with them, I was able to understand how they communicate and the differences in how they communicate. Leif is going to call and Leif is Southern hospitality. He wants to know, how was your weekend? How are the kids? <laughs> he like knows my kids are doing different things. He's checking in on their, you know, their basketball games and, and things of that nature. I also know that Leif tends to want more information. So when we have a conversation, I'm going to come prepared to kind of walk through what the team talked about, the the evidence or the data mm-hmm. and all the information to kind of give him an informed uh, overview and help him come to a, a conclusion. Jocko, on the other hand, he's a busy man and Jocko is bullet points. When I talk to him, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, A, B, C, got it. That's it. And because I have a relationship with him, I don't ever view my conversations with Jocko as, oh, he doesn't care about me or they're short and to the point. I view that as, hey, we have a great relationship. I don't need all the extra fluff. Mm -hmm. So let's just get to the point and I can communicate with him in that way. Yeah. If I were to communicate that way with Leif, it wouldn't have the same effect and vice versa. If I called Jocko and I'm like, how was your weekend? He doesn't have time. So it's a really important part when we're talking about communicating effectively, whether it's with our spouse or our kids. I mean, you have three kids. I have three kids. I talk to each one of them differently. And part of that is knowing who they are, building that relationship. And if you focus on that, you can adjust the way you communicate to be effective in communicating with them. Yeah. It's so important. It works the same with your team. Yes. Right. So um, I manage a team of five and in one setting, another team of five in another set. Like there are, there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone is different. Everybody needs something different. And then how do I manage upward? Right. Because That's a different game. That's a different story (laughs) altogether, right? And I know that my manager, he needs X, Y, Z, right? And he needs a little bit of detail, but really he just wants to see how is it that you're going to pull this off. And so strategy is important. If I come to him with the strategy, I get the okay and we move forward, right? It's it's the freedom. Hey, if I can adjust the way I'm communicating to the person I'm communicating to. One, they're gonna understand, and also, I'm gonna get a lot more leeway. Up the chain of command, when I communicate differently based on whether I'm talking to Leif or Jocko or Dave or my colleagues, I'm gonna get to be able to do what I wanna do much more effectively. Um, I, you know, one of the, the biggest tools I've seen Jocko use that I try to use now with my kids and my team is a very simple tactic of, what do you think we should do? Yes. I have never called Jocko and said, hey, we have this problem, we have this situation, we have this, issue with a client where he hasn't said, cool, what do you think we should do? And early on, I started to recognize this pattern that he has never given me the answer. He's never Mm -hmm. telling me what to go do. In fact, I don't think he's ever heard an opinion on what we should do and then changed it and said, no, we're going to go do this. At every turn, he will say, what do you think we should do? And so I started figuring out the best thing I could do in that situation was to say, hey, we have this problem. Here's what I think we should do. Do you have any feedback? And what do I get 99% of the time? go execute. Yeah. And I get to now go run and be default aggressive in solving the problem. It's true, yeah. right? And with our children, it's the same, right? Oh, yes. Um, and it can be a little challenging, like I say, with my daughter and her hair. Um, <laughs> but before that, she talked about, uh, she has locks and she thought, she's like, I'm going to, I think I want to cut my locks. And I'm like, okay, what's your plan afterwards? Because you need a plan. 
And I did not help her develop this plan. I am like, go inwardly, come up with a plan, let me know what we're going to do. Yeah. And so then, of course, it was cut out of my hair. I was like, oh, wait, that's maybe I should have said more. <laughs> that's actually <laughs> but, not the plan that's I That's actually wanted. not the plan that I wanted. But you know what? I said, as long as you get it done professionally, because I don't want her in a dorm room with kids and scissors. That's kind of <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I envision in my brain. <laughs> when you're 18 and 19, you're like, oh, no, this will work. And yeah. I'm like, no. So, <laughs> uh, You know, it's interesting because we, you know, this question that Jocko will ask, and this is such a great example with your daughter, is he would ask that question. And if I came up with a plan that wasn't quite the plan that he wanted, hey, I'm going to cut all my hair off, right? That's not the plan that you wanted. And so then the question you have to ask as a leader is like, okay, how do I do A, is this plan close enough to mm-hmm. help solve the problem that I'm just going to put my opinions in a drawer and say and run with it? about it. Because I know the impact of doing that is that this person is now going to feel like it's their plan and they're going to go run with it and they're going to solve problems as opposed to saying, no, we're going to do it my way. The other tactic that Jocko will use, and I this is a good tactic to try with your daughter, is those earnest questions. You know, the second Jocko goes, hey, I like the plan. Is Do you think there's any risk in this? And he'll start to ask a question. And the second he asks a question, I'm like, oh, I'm on the wrong track. Yep. Because he doesn't ask questions if it's a plan that he's good with. Yep. And most of the time, that 99% of the time, it's go execute. Mm-hmm. In the case of your daughter, it might be, okay, you want to cut your hair off. And in, internally, you know, you're detaching from the, the uh-huh. emotions you're feeling of like, don't do this, especially knowing, hey, we know, we're mothers, we know. I want to protect my kids from making the same mistakes. You're doing the same thing. But the tactic there is, okay, let me ask some earnest questions. Mm-hmm. Do you have a plan? Do you understand how long it might take to grow it back if you yeah. change your mind? Like, it might just be questions to put in their mind mm-hmm. and then you let them go and you and hope then- that that influenced them enough to make a decision. Speaking of influence, because (laughs) (laughs) I get, yes, it is. And I get asked all of the time, you know, I want to learn how to influence people. Mm. Right. And especially when I don't have the authority, this, she's 18. Right. I don't have the authority to make her keep her head, hair on her head, but I do have some influence. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And this across the board where, a lot of times we don't have the authority to make people do things, but how do we influence? And my answer to that is probably really simple. Once <laughs> once people hear it, they're like, oh, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it and that's all, right? And so the way that we allow, uh, the way that we influence other people is to first allow them to influence us. Yep. And that's, that's very simple. So it is, I want to influence my manager. I want to influence my spouse. I want to influence my kids. And it's, you know, I've been thinking about this and I want to hear your thoughts on it. And you know what? I'm going to move on some of their thoughts on it. And I'm going to connect it back so that every time you see me, remember when you said that I probably need to lean back a little bit in meetings? I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't talk as much, right? I don't know if you noticed, but I asked more pertinent questions instead of just trying to take over. And so now that person has a sense of, oh, wow, I'm really influencing her behavior. I'm really influencing the way that she thinks. Well, that opens up the avenue for me to then influence them. I love that you said that. And I don't know if you know this, but we have a a recent framework. Okay, you're familiar. (laughs) Because the framework around relationships, Jocko came up with this. He taught it once on an academy session that we ran. And I was sitting there and he said it and I was like, 
I am writing this down. And it's now become a module we teach, but it's the framework for how do you build relationships mm-hmm. and what are the things you need to build strong relationships? Because one of the questions we get is, hey, you're telling me to build and maintain relationships, but how do I do that? Why do it? And that framework is simple. It's trust, listen, respect, and influence. And those things need to be reciprocal. If I want you to trust me, I have to trust you. I have to give you opportunities to go and solve problems and trust you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. If I want you to listen to me, I have to listen to you, which means that I have to spend a lot of my meeting because I feel like you and I are in the same boat. I'm a talker. And so I have to really really focus and be intentional to listen. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that effectively, people are more willing to listen to me. I think that Jocko is such a great example of this. For as much as he talks in the public forum, when we have internal meetings, he rarely says anything. And so when he does, everyone's like ears up, listening, ready to write down the note Mm -hmm. because he doesn't talk a lot. So when he does, you know it's something worth spending his time to talk and share with us. Then you've got respect. I hate this idea that people have, which is like, they have to earn my respect. Mm. No, I'm going to go out the gate if I'm working with someone new. You get my respect out the gate. And then, yeah, can things tarnish that respect over time? Sure, but you're going to get my respect out the gate because if I want you to respect me, I have to show you respect. And that final piece, which you hit nail on the head, was influence. That's leadership. If I want to influence other people, I have to allow them to influence me. It is it is so critical. And that might be some, something as simple as, hey, here's the plan. And someone on my team says, hey, what if we did it this way? And Or what if we adjusted the plan a slightly here? And I go, that's a great idea. We're going to run with that. Yep. And every time I let them influence me, I build up that leadership capital and I have more opportunities then to influence them. Yeah. It's doing what we say we're going to do <laughs> and following through on that that's that matters. very true. And even with allowing them to understand not just the what, but the why, right? Mm -hmm. So that fits into this because if people can understand kind of what the end goal looks like and how we're going to get there, why we're doing what we're doing, then that leaves room for them to influence too. Because if they come to me with an idea that's not really good and I'm able to say, hey, this has not worked because of this, this, and this, and they problem solve for this, this, and this, we now have a viable idea, right? And it's their idea. And it's their idea. It's their idea. People get so hung up on that and they get frustrated because we hear leaders say, they just need to go do what I've asked them to do. But if you have a plan and I have a plan, and maybe your plan's 70%, 80% there, but my plan's 95%. I've been here longer. I know how to do, I've got the experience, (laughs) right? All of my instinct is to say, we're going to go with my plan because I know my plan is better. But what happens is if I say, no, LaTanya, we're we're doing my plan. We're going to go this route. I appreciate what you came up with, but we're going this route. When we come across a roadblock, you're going to put your hands up and be like, I told her this wasn't going to work. That's exactly right. Because it's my plan. But if I say, hey, you've got this 70% solution, and I'm not going to say that. I'm going to ask a few questions. Maybe some Mm -hmm. earnest questions gets them to an 80% plan. Let them run with it. Because when they hit that first roadblock, they're going to be sitting there like, oh, man, Jamie trusted me. She gave me this opportunity. i got to figure out how to solve this problem. And it's their plan. They're going to take ownership of it, and they're going to solve those problems. And people too often get hung up on that ego check. It is this is my plan and it's better. Yeah. It's not. It's always better to go with your team's plan. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And I tell you what, this whole notion of ego and, and put, it will make you miss out mm. on 
so many things. It will keep you trapped. It will make you get complacent. It will make you think that you are all of that in like five bags of chips and <laughs> some dip. And But the perception of the people around you will be in complete opposition of that, right? So you have to learn to keep your ego in check. And that, to your point, if you feel like, hey, I kind of know a little bit about this. I've been doing this for a lot longer. It's okay to to let someone else take the lead. It's okay to let someone else. And as a matter of fact, I kind of believe that from um, um, from the perspective of leadership anyway, right? I believe in setting my people up so that they shine, so that their strengths are highlighted, so that they are set up for success. Sometimes that's a meeting before the meeting. Right. Sometimes that's a meeting after the meeting. But I always do things where they feel like they are not discredited, not devalued. Um, they feel like, you know what, Latanya has my back on this. And when you feel like your manager has your back, that just increases the trust and the respect and the influence. So you get things done. A hundred percent. There's so much in there. I, I always think of my ego as like the little, you know, the little devil on your shoulder. <laughs> and like, my ego loves me. It loves me so much. It loves to convince me that I'm right. Yes. It loves to convince me that I need to prove to this other person that I'm right. Yes. <laughs> and every time that I listen to the ego, I make mistakes. I cause friction in my relationships. And most of the time, if I let my team come up with a plan, as much as I think I know better, they come up with a plan that's infinitely better than mine. And so we've got to be able to check our ego. It's one of the hardest things people deal with. But to your point, it's the one thing that will kill our opportunity to build relationships. Every single time. Every single time. it (laughs) It will make you feel like you are again creme de la creme <laughs> and and everyone around you it's like I wish that she would sit down I wish that she would just be quiet right there are other people your ego is steady feeding you like say more say more yeah oh I just love this say more you have the best you ideas. have the best ideas <laughs> I Don't just you love find, you though, I have found that when people allow their egos to kind of control their reactions to things, um, when people are looking out for themselves, when they're caring only about themselves, how this impacts them, they want the credit, that oftentimes those are the individuals that find the most roadblocks, the most obstacles. And yet every time, to your point that you made earlier, I put the team first and I focus on the team. And my whole focus is the team and the mission, which means I give up my time, my energy, my resources. I give up, you know, I have to deal with that emotional burden that I'm feeling. But when I put the team first, it is in every case in my life come back around full circle to benefit me. And it's not why I do it, but it's the outcome. Have you seen that play out in in your life? For sure. You know, it's hard to be um, team-centered and (laughs) self-centered at the same time. right? They don't exist in the same space. Um, But I've seen that play out in my marriage. I've seen that play out in my relationships with um, my team. I mean, just all over the place. It is always looking out for the team. And if you do that, the inherent outcome of that is that you win, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, what it reminds me of is actually a story. Um, we had a family karaoke night. Love um, it. <laughs> and, um, so part of that karaoke, I, 
I, it's probably more of a lip syncing type contest. Is Let what me we're just pause have. really yes. quick in the story. What's your karaoke go to? Okay, my karaoke go to is something to talk about Bonnie Ray. <laughs> okay, continue. Everything's fine. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, so we had a family lip syncing conversation, um, not conversation, um, event. Yeah. And can I tell you how my ego got way out of control? We were just married and his mother put on this event for the family. It was supposed to be fun. Okay. I am so competitive. I zapped all of the fun out of it. <clears throat> I had, We did Bruno Mars. Yes. Um, Uptown Funk. Of course. <laughs> And so my daughter choreographed. We were rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing for this. I love this new family uh, endeavor. I'm going to be creating, recreating this with my family. I love it. So my husband is like, LaTanya, I'm just going to get in where I fit in. I'm not going to um, do anything big. I'm just going to. And I was like, no. <laughs> I said, you have to be at rehearsal. Why do we rehearse, people? Why do we rehearse? You have to be at rehearsal. And if you can't be at rehearsal, like you can't be, I kicked him out of his mother's <laughs> event. That is horrible. And on top of that, so we go through this and I am pretty pleased with our performance. But then at the end, his mom says, well, everybody wins. No, ma'am. <laughs> you like, wanted a trophy? I was like, there are no second place trophies. <laughs> like, who does that? And I was really upset about the whole thing. So then later on, of course, because I hurt my husband's feelings. <laughs> um, and my daughters also were like, she is doing the most. <laughs> so afterwards, we are talking and I'm trying to come down because I am so heated. Just about the outcome of her saying that everybody wins, I'm like, no, thank you. So my husband was like, you were so busy trying to make this the way that you wanted it and trying to control this whole thing. And you were so busy trying to win that you didn't realize that you had already won. It was like you won when you had our girls come together and they choreographed and they had uniforms like we were dressed alike and all of the things, you know, just the time that you all spent laughing and planning this out. You had already won. Right. You had already won when you said yes to my mom who just wanted us to do something. It was during COVID too. Like she just wanted us to do something um, for family time. So basically along the ways you won and you didn't recognize this because my ego and he didn't use these words but like my ego was on high and I kind of just leaned back and I was like wow you're right <laughs> so and I had to restore <laughs> with ice cream and <laughs> I I'm I'm with you like I'm a competitive person so I I tend to take things too seriously as well I yeah. think you know I posted on Instagram a couple weeks ago but we played Monopoly with our kids oh lord yeah you know <laughs> my daughter's in tears and I'm like I don't think we've ever finished a game of Monopoly without just total annihilation it's of emotions bad. it's bad yeah. But, um, and, and my husband, I, I blame him, but it's, <laughs> I'll, I'll take ownership of that. But, you know, he doesn't, 
he doesn't believe in letting our kids like we're not going to give them the easy win like and i'm all for that me too um but obviously it ends in in these tears and the question that you brought to mind or the the i guess the the viewpoint i see in that is that we already won because we're sitting around the table together playing a game and yeah, spending time and spending that's time. the purpose <laughs> and building relationships yes. and we don't finish monopoly either as a matter of fact i literally don't play monopoly with my family is I don't think you're alone in that I guarantee you the vast majority of our audience are are (laughs) resonating with that we stick to now like Yahtzee which even is then emotional but Monopoly brings out the worst in people it (laughs) does and I don't know if it's the owning the property I don't know what it is but it is (laughs) no you owe me a dollar yeah sell something (laughs) you're gonna give me my dollar (laughs) it's definitely a good lesson in life right it it is you have to pay the taxes and my kids are always like what you know and I'm like, hey, welcome, welcome to the world. Yes. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I definitely want to come do family karaoke sometime. Uh, music is my thing, so we'll have to set that up for sure. Do you have a go-to song? Um, so I grew up singing. So here, here's the thing. If you grew up, like I grew up singing and kind of performing and I was, I was in bands. I went to school for vocal performance. So I had, it was kind of a big part of my life. Not so much anymore. I've got kids and things going on. But, um, so when you grow up singing, like I never really liked karaoke because I always felt like you were the one that was like there to show off. Yes. So I, I, I didn't do it a lot growing up because I was like, I don't want to be the one that's like, oh, check this out. <laughs> and um, and so I didn't do it a lot growing up. So now that I'm older, I'm singing the songs with my, my – we go with my kids all the time. We do it here at the house. Super yeah, fun. We, and so I kind of stick with the songs they know, and we do little duets and things. So they've got all – they've got their whole playlist of things they play, and I just sing along to whatever they're playing. Oh, look at you with your ego <laughs> under control. Because, you know, I – I really believe that there's a reason why I can blend in, but I am not by any means a Whitney or anything of that nature. And I think God did that on purpose. (laughs) I think God was like, Latanya, she's going to be able to check her ego in other areas. But if she could really sing, it would be a lot. It would would come out. We got to do karaoke sometime. That'll be so fun. Um, Okay, so I want to transition because we had you on twice for the Women's Assembly. The first time you came out the gate hot with this, if you want to go get it, this lesson on default aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I loved that because it was really helpful. I think one of the reasons we started the Women's Assembly was we get some some women, specifically women, um, who have a little bit of a challenge sometimes in recognizing our content as something that resonates with them Mm -hmm. because it's military, it's combat, and there's sometimes a disconnect. And that was why we started the Women's Assembly. And so we had you on, and I love that you were able to talk specifically about a mindset that typically is what, you know, causes some of that reaction. Hey, this is default aggressive, and this is very military. And and you were able to have this spin on it that was more about, hey, if you want it, stop making excuses and go get it. Absolutely. Um, then we had you back out. And if I'm being honest, I was like, there's no way she can top that first session. <laughs> because that first session was so good, and the feedback we got was so amazing, and people were so inspired by that um and I you know I I will take it all back because you came out that second session with this new tagline which was mind your business and I was like this is so poignant and so necessary for everyone but specifically for women who I feel like oftentimes take the weight of everything on their shoulders for sure work family life kids you know I always joke that 
my husband and I both travel for work, but when he travels, he packs a bag and he walks out the door. Mm-hmm. And when I travel, it's a, it's a different story to say the least. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have a lot on our plates. And so talk a little bit about that idea of mind your business and what that means. Yeah. So it was coined in a casual conversation <laughs> with my husband. We were literally just talking about some things and he just said, you know what? I think I'm just going to mind my business. And I was like, what? (laughs) And so then we started talking specifically about what is your business? And we came up with a flow chart of what was literally his business. And I thought... Wait, so t- you're in with your husband creating flow charts. You're like whiteboard session. We're like. whiteboard session. We are, we are those people. I love um, A little bit of backdrop on that. Even before we got married, we would have these business meetings. And we still have business meetings to this day. I like so it. So it is very much us to have a whiteboard session on anything. Got it. So you've now <laughs> mapped out this flow chart of what is your business. Yes. Cool. And we both decided that if it's not in these bubbles, it is literally not my business. And so I began to see extreme ownership flowing all through those items. And I said, you know what? Not just mind your business, but mind your busyness. What is taking up your time? Because there are so many opportunities for distraction and things that look kind of shiny. And you just want to, you know, you got to stay focused. And part of that is first understanding what the mission is. And it's not just, to your point, um, relevant to combat. And I mean, I've ne- I have zero military experience, none. Never even been to boot camp, never saw a recruiter, anything. Right. My husband doesn't have any military background. So when we talk about this stuff working, (laughs) it reaches beyond those sectors for sure. And so I decided that I really wanted to do something with Mind Your Business. And there you are with um, sort of the thought of women. We really we to your point, we take on so much and then we're being, we are made to feel bad whenever we determine not to do that. And so I really wanted to speak to the women and anybody, really, because we do have some men who also need to know how to mind their business. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I wanted to kind of put that out there that, hey, if it's attached to your mission, then that's your business. If it has nothing to do with anything even remotely close to your mission that's probably not your business it's okay to let that go yeah it was such a powerful lesson around this principle of prioritize and execute Mm -hmm. because we have so many things that we're doing and to your point we get distracted yeah there is a there's a little tool we use sometimes when we go on site with clients and we'll do this example we'll do a quick role play i'll call someone up and it's very simple we'll say okay you know give your ABCs, A through Z, to the group. Just kind of, you know, you don't do it super fast, but just nice and clear so everyone can hear it. And they'll go A through Z, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. Good to go. And then we'll go, okay, round two. We want you to now count one through 26, just like you did previously. And they'll execute that. And then we'll say, okay, for the third task, we want you to combine those efforts. A1, B2, C3, and go through Z. And, you know, you can already see a little bit of panic in their face. Immediately. Yeah. And they start, and we've had people get frustrated. We've had people not even willing to try. We've had people that, Hmm. I think I've seen one guy get through it, 
that just obviously had the mind for that, most will quit halfway through or get to a point where like, I don't know, and they get frustrated and flustered. And it's a cool example of a couple things. First, how important our emotions play out because even mm. in something so simple, those emotions come out and it keeps us from being able to progress. Sure. The biggest lesson for me, and I think this plays out most with women, is this idea that we are really good at multitasking. Oh my gosh. Yes. How many women do you know specifically, and, and men too for sure, but definitely women who have this feeling that, you yes. know what, I'm so good at multitasking. Yes. And the reality is, is our brains are not wired to multitask. It's not at all. No. And something as fundamental as ABCs and one, two, threes, you can see this clear example that you are not meant to multitask. So when we talk about prioritize and execute, we're talking about detaching from our, our emotions so we can see what the priorities are. And then we have to focus. Yep. Then we have to pick that priority and focus. Yep. And to me, that really resonated in your conversation around mind your business. I've got these priorities I'm going to do. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to get distracted because I need to help a team or I need to help a teammate or my kid needs something. And you might get distracted from those. But when I'm working on the things that are going to help me accomplish my mission, I'm going to be focused on those things. And everything outside of that is not my business. And I'm going to keep focused on these priorities so I can get them done. And that's what helps the team in the broader mission. Yeah. And I'm going to allocate my resources towards that, right? Because another thing is that we spread our resources really, really thin because we feel like you need a piece of this and you need a piece of that. And it doesn't work. Right, we will prioritize ourselves into a box if we are not careful. So it is understanding again what that what is it that I want to get accomplished, and then I need to allocate my resources towards it. I also though can't be fixated to the point where I don't allow some type of flexibility because sometimes it's not going to be a straight line. So why I have my focus on how are we going to get there and moving forward, I'm also, to your point, just kind of pivoting and like, okay, I probably need to take a break here. My It's my child's graduation. I will be there for that. Yes. Right? It is this. I will be there for that. But it is, you got to zoom in and focus because 100%. otherwise... Things don't get done, and we wonder why it does not. And we need to take a look at, hey, how am I spending my time? And there's a difference between being productive and being busy, right? And if I allow for people to prioritize for me, I just end up being busy because People will always have things for you to do. And can you do this for me? And this is so important for me. And I didn't prepare, but now I want this to be an emergency for you, right? And people will fill your plate up with just stuff. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage us all to not have our plate filled with stuff, but to have it filled with things that are meaningful to us. And that is part of me minding my business. Because if I'm minding my business, I probably don't have time to be in yours. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of the concept of discipline equals freedom. Jocko talks a lot about how discipline is the pathway to freedom. And one of the biggest complaints leaders talk about is, I need more free time. <laughs> and this plays exactly to what you were just talking about, which is if you want more free time, you have to be more intentional with how you spend your time. For sure. And I think a lot of people take that time audit and they look at their life and they're feeling frustrated because they 
are feeling overwhelmed or they have this out of balance between work and life Mm -hmm. and they want more time. And when you actually take a step back and you look at how you're spending your time, there's a lot of inefficiencies there. There's a lot of wasted time. For sure. And that is the one thing we can't control. So when it comes to prioritize and execute, learning how to detach and then recognize how should I be spending my time? How should Mm -hmm. I be minding my business so that I can be effective at getting what I need to get done and then having that free time on the back end, that freedom part of the discipline, which is so critical. Yeah. I tell you, once you experience the freedom piece, it kind of makes the discipline um, piece of it make a little bit more sense, right? It's like, man, I would not have had the, um, the opportunity to do these things had I not been more disciplined. And people, to your point, people ask all the time, like, how do you do so much, right? You are a YouTube influencer. You are a mother and a wife and a CEO and a manager. And how do you do all of the things? You must not get sleep. And the truth is, I do get plenty of sleep. Um, It's actually my favorite thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I am very... um, I'm very intentional about the things that I say yes to, right? Because I know that my yes is costly. So me saying yes means that there is some things, it comes along with some other things because excellence is my standard. So I can't just half behind it, right? I know that if I say yes, it's by any means necessary. Like I will get it done. (laughs) So I have to be mindful of what that looks like, who I say yes to, um, people are oftentimes pulling at our coattails for information and for um, for mentorship. And I am a huge proponent of all of those things, but I can't have more invested in you than you're willing to invest in yourself. And so there have been opportunities or there have been times when I've had to say, yeah, I don't know about this, right? And not have that on my plate or maybe maybe later instead of now and kind of rejuggling some things. But yeah, so that's how you get it. I think it goes back to that earlier conversation we had, which is around that self-awareness. Yeah. That self-awareness piece is so critical. Yeah. And when you have that self-awareness, then you're more attuned to what the real mission is mm-hmm. and what are the things that are getting in the way or distracting me from accomplishing that mission. It's true. And especially when you feel like you're accomplishing many different things, there are people who are just along for the claps. And it's easy to get distracted by the compliments and the claps. But then you have people in your world who, again, just love you for you and they keep you grounded and they remind you that, hey, this is not a part of where we're going. It's like, yeah man, that just sounded like a good idea. It's like, yeah, most ideas do sound pretty good. <laughs> At least in the beginning stages, right? For sure. But, um, but if we are really understanding kind of what our purpose is, which is why we are even in existence, then that helps you with choosing missions that are in line with that purpose, right? And then the other part of that is the values, which that's how you conduct yourself, while you are on mission to achieve the purpose. And so I have to make sure that I am still kind, still empathetic, still keeping the relationships front and center, um, still understanding. All of that is a part of it. 
Absolutely. You, so you teach, you, not teach, you are now in talent development. Yep. You've been in that role for how long? Five years. Okay, five years. Were you always drawn to sort of a teaching, instructing, development role? Or how did you kind of end up at your current company doing talent development? Yeah, interesting. I had no idea. None. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was um, in another department prior to talent development and we would train seasonal people to come in and do the job. I was asked to do some of the training. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and You were minding your business. I was minding my <laughs> own business, which I am a huge proponent of. Um, and my manager at the time, she said, Latanya, you have no supervisor skills on your resume you have no managers like you need that mm -hmm. even if you don't stay here you still need that and so um, I was like well I think you have the wrong person because I don't know enough to train anybody on how to do anything and she just kind of was like yeah you do mm -hmm. and I pretty much was volunteered that yes you will do it <laughs> I love that though. Yeah. So that's actually really similar to how I became an instructor at Echelon Friends. Really? Yes, because I, you know, you know our team. These are <laughs> these, these are incredible individuals. These are seasoned combat veterans, mm -hmm. and here I am. And it was brought up by Jocko and Leif and a couple colleagues of like, hey, why don't you why don't you speak in the next muster? And I was like, no, no shot. To your point, like there was that sense of I'm an imposter. I can't possibly add value to what we teach at Echelon Front when I'm standing alongside yeah. uh, these combat veterans. And so I was really worried about that. Um, I didn't know how to, how to do that in a way that mattered. And I think what I learned and, and what I'm getting a sense from you, and I'd love to hear your take on this, was that when I took a step back, when, you know, a little little bit voluntold, kind of pushed out of my comfort zone, <laughs> yes. I started to realize that, that the people we'd been working with were so much more like me. Yeah. You know, people look at Jocko and they're like, I can never be that. And he looks to be this unattainable figurehead. Mm -hmm. And yet what I could provide was like, hey, I didn't serve in combat and I don't have all these accolades. <laughs> but what I have is a passion and a belief in these principles. And I really think that when that's sincere and authentic and I'm doing this in my real life, I can teach it in a way that's effective. And I started to realize that I love that component. What I love about what we do is that I can teach from a sincere, you know, place mm -hmm. what we believe at Echelon Front and these principles of extreme ownership. And the cool benefit is that I get to see how people apply this stuff. And that is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Yeah. So you're in this role now. You get voluntold. I get what does that look like? Well, I was voluntold. This was before I even applied for this job. And I start teaching and something really magical yeah. happens. I am like, I love this. And to your point, I didn't have to be anybody else. I didn't have to do it the way anybody else did it. Authenticity is so important. And I was relatable and people loved class. And I was like, oh wow. So then fast forward, this job becomes available. And the only thing that I knew is that I had a passion for people for equipping people, for learning myself. And it just kind of fell into place for me um, as far as um, getting this opportunity. Who knew? I certainly 
did not know. And even the doors that this opportunity has opened up for me has just cascaded. I mean, I got to meet you all. And <laughs> we are the lucky ones on that, on that regard. It's just cascaded all over the place. My business was birthed out of what I've been able to learn this, and I tell my manager at Smithfield this all the time. I say, this job changed my life. And um, and it truly has. It's been a platform for me to talk about all of the things that are core to who I am. And it just so happens to be a part of the curriculum. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. It's clearly a gift of yours. From the first time I had a chance to meet you and we were just walking through your outline, I was like, wow. Like, I, I can be influenced and inspired by this individual. And that's a gift. I don't think everyone possesses that. I think people can attribute to that and can learn and improve and find ways to influence. But there is a gift in your ability to, I always say it's a little bit of a performance. And that sounds like this can thing, but there's an element of being engaging and in, 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 in those conversations. You can teach curriculum, but there's a component of teaching it in a way that people are eyes open, heads up, watching and paying attention. And you do that very, very well. Um, and I think what's really cool about what we both get to do is that we get to meet people and talk to them and help mm. them see the outcome of taking ownership of things in their life. Um, and I love what you've done because I always use this phrase, you know, we talk about ownership in the moment. When problems happen, mistakes happen, we have to step up and take ownership of those things right away. I also, we also talk about kind of an elevated uh, way of using ownership is preemptive ownership. Hey, before something goes wrong, mm -hmm. I'm going to set my team up for success. I'm mm -hmm. going to put some contingency plans in place. I'm going to let my team know I have their back. Hey, I know this is for a risky sure. plan, but if it doesn't go well, that's going to be on me. And you give them a little leeway to potentially make some mistakes, but at mm -hmm. least go forward on, on solving that problem. And then there's this element of reflective ownership where you can look back on your life, which we've done today, and you've looked back on you know, the situation at 14, finding out you're pregnant. And you can look back through this lens of ownership and recognize the times in which you took ownership and the outcome and the positive things you were able to accomplish it as a result of that, even at 14, to say, I'm, I'm taking ownership of this. And also for me, I've been able to look back and recognize mistakes I've made, you know, relationships that were frictioned or times where I made the wrong choice or I didn't take ownership of something or I was pushing blame to something else. And I can see through that lens, man, if I had just taken ownership of that piece, I could have solved it. Yeah. And that's a really powerful tool that ownership get, has provided me in yeah. looking back on the mistakes and the times I, I took ownership and the outcome of that to better prepare me for challenges I'm going to face now for sure and the challenges don't go away right so this is this is a process and to your point whether you are able to name it as decentralized command or name it as cover and move or name it as discipline equals freedom you might not have those words to put around it but I that you're probably practicing some element of it because it just spans so far into your everyday life you're either practicing it or you're you're recognizing <laughs> you're you're actually seeing where like man I need a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the one of the curses of being a part of this mindset of ownership and understanding it well is that I travel a lot, I get to hear people behind me in line or at a basketball game with my kids or you know just kind of people watching and you hear even in just people in conversation sitting next to me on the plane. And it's it makes it hard because you hear 
the overlay of excuses and blame and there's this part of me that just wants to reach out and be like there's a better way let me show you the better way I promise if you get over this initial barrier of taking ownership of this situation you can solve it yeah and that makes it sometimes a little difficult to have conversations with people that aren't in the game it's true and I just gotta remember that it's my job to set the example that's true even if you're the only one right even if you're the only one and I um, I have a lot of coaching sessions because that's part of what um, what I do as well. And in these sessions, I am constantly asking questions. Can you tell me about your part in that? Right? Can you tell me about what you wish you would have done differently? What are the consequences of you continuing in this same path? What do you think that's going to lead to? Right? So it is causing them to think about things in a way that, again, you don't have to forfeit your power you have the ability to do something different. You just have to make that choice. That's ownership. Yeah. It is so liberating. Mm-hmm. It's the control we get to solve our problems and people push against it time and time again. But the second they overcome that initial barrier, That's true. they get to see it. And it cha- it's a game changer. And unfortunately, it's not a one and done. Like the first time it's you not. take ownership, yeah, <laughs> like- you see it and you're like, oh, that worked. And you have to continue to do it. And the, the reality is, is that there are some things that are easy to take ownership of. And then there's other things that you you can feel it. You know you have to do it, but it's so hard. And it's in those moments where I, I always tell people, hey, if you want to get really good at cultivating this mindset, you want this to become an instinct in your life, look for the opportunities to take ownership. Don't just wait for the times where you need to. Look for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a conversation, cool, I can take ownership of this. My team does something, I can take ownership of that. And it changes your mindset from this being an overwhelming sense of, oh man, I have to take responsibility for this to I want to take ownership yeah. of this. And when you get to that point is where you really see the beauty and value of what ownership gives you, which is that control. For sure. You know, I read a book right before I got married and it talked about how even if let's say you think that your husband or your spouse is 90% at fault, 90%, (laughs) right? And you are only 10% wrong in that scenario. You need to work on your 10%. And it's like, what? (laughs) No, I want to point out this 90% to you. It's like, no, you work on your 10%. Yep. And and it's modeling this over and over and over again. That's what it's about. I'll, I'll tell you a, f- a funny story about that because my, my husband was an instructor at Echelon Front. So my husband was here at Echelon Front for a couple years. He actually worked with yep. Smithfield early on. Um, and now he's with another company. But we both we both teach these principles for a living. Like he was here at Ashland Front. He now teaches them at the company he's at. So you would think like we hold each other to the highest standards. And of course, at home, those things, you know, you've got higher egos, higher emotions. Um, And my husband travels for work. So he leaves Monday, comes home Thursday or so. And Friday, uh, it was a Saturday morning. He came home and I was running errands and I got home and he was tearing down boxes. And needless to say, he was maybe a little frustrated about tearing these boxes down <laughs> because it's not how he wanted to spend his Saturday. And right. like, th- it probably only took half an hour. But in his mind, this was like... Forever. Yeah. Forever. Like, such a waste of his time. And he kind of made a comment. I think the phrase was like, can you ask the Instacart uh, delivery guys to take the boxes back? And I just started laughing. I'm like, no. 
I'm not going to ask the, the, the wonderful woman or gentleman who's going to the store, buying my groceries, dropping it off at home to unpack the boxes and then take the boxes back in their car. And so we, you know, he, you could tell he's a little frustrated and I'm kind of laughing internally. But in my mind, what happened, which I think happens a lot, mm -hmm. is I started going through this laundry list of like, do you know what it take for those boxes to get there for you to have to un you know, break them down. It took me deciding what our family needed to eat for the week, opening the app, placing the order. When the groceries got here, taking them from the porch, unloading them into the fridge and the pantry and throughout the kitchen, then making meals for my kids for four days straight while you were gone, and then moving the boxes to the garage. And all you had to do was tear them down mm. and there was a sense of like I'm kind of going through my mind and I think this happens with women I'm starting to think like are you kidding me okay and I realized that hey this is my 10 percent okay. I'm gonna take ownership of this 10 percent <laughs> and I was like you know what you're totally right you travel a lot for work and this is probably the last thing you want to do on a Saturday so I'll make sure that you the boxes are, are broken down next time and of course there was a hint hint of like sarcasm, oh, sarcasm. <laughs> it has to be <laughs> and he was like he recognized too. He's like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, no, that's what you're saying. And it was just so funny because we had this little, this little conversation. We both know the answer. We yep. both know the way. Yep. And even in that moment, you had that sense of, man, this is, this is not this big of a deal. But to his point, we have a 12 and 14 year old. They can break down boxes. Okay. So we solve the problem by decentralized command. <laughs> We're going to push this it. outward. It's going to solve our little tiff. Uh, but it's a good example of even those of us that practice this and know it well, it's it true. is a never-ending effort. Mm -hmm. And the second we get off that path is where we start to falter. And you can feel it. It's yes. It's just like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we very quickly realized that we could both take ownership of the situation and it was not a big deal. But in the moment, it's, you know, e even those of us that practice this. We are not absolved of feeling those moments where That's I do true. not want to take ownership of this. It's freaking boxes. You know, it's yep. 10 minutes of your day. Yep. Relax. But that's what makes <laughs> You, you're all effective in the road too, yeah, right? It's yeah. because we have to be able to share real life experience and real life stories. I think one of um, my biggest strengths is that I am so transparent, probably a little <laughs> too much sometimes, but, um, but I, I have to be because that is how people learn. I know I learn through stories. And when other people hear something that they can relate to, they think, oh, yeah, maybe I'll try that next time. That's actually a really good transition because one of the things that you are very passionate about, and I love this about what you teach and the focus of your business and, and coaching people, is around relationships. Mm -hmm. It's around relationships. You talk a lot about empathy and I love the combination of those two things. How do we build relationships and what's the purpose of building relationships? Why is that so important? Um, and I know you had a recent experience in your life that kind of lends to that and I'd love it if you could share that with everyone. Sure. So um, I was married previously and my ex-husband had a couple of children after we were divorced, one of which is a seven-year-old little girl. And her mother and I were able to form this incredible relationship. And it started with really her just coming along to go prom dress shopping, right? And we are probably the most unlikely people to be friends. We both have these children. Our children are siblings and they share a father. So historically speaking, people are like, this is not gonna work out well. <laughs> but you know what? It is relationships for me. 
It is making sure that my children are connected with their siblings, and that is pretty important. So I, again, I reached out, and she came prom dress shopping, and we had the best time. Mind you, for years prior to us going shopping, we had not really said anything to each other. So when I saw her, Jamie, I gave her the biggest hug, and I thanked her for coming. We spent the day together. We exchanged phone numbers. We determined that, you know what, we're going to keep in touch. And we're not going to let all of this adult stuff keep us from being close and keeping our children tight. And so we began to, I mean, we went so many places together, bringing all of our children along. Well, recently, um, and it was the Sunday before Valentine's Day, she had a brain aneurysm. And everything just happened so pretty quickly. Um, my daughter, who is in college, she said, Mom, I have to come and, and see her. So we went to get her. And before we even got back to the hospital, they said, she's taking a turn for the worse. And um, she's pretty much brain dead. And so it was, I mean, it was devastating. Well... We get to the hospital, right? All of the things transpire. She does pass away. And we have this seven-year-old girl without a mother. And my husband and I are just like, we just want to help. And kind of a little bit um, of backdrop, she, um, the lady who passed away, was a mother to my children at a time where I could not be because I went through a pretty rough period. And so she bathed my children, she clothed my children, she took care of them. And I always loved her just because of the way that she treated my children. But I didn't have an opportunity to share because there was not the relationship. So now all of this is coming full circle. We have a relationship. We've been able to talk about all of the things and um, she would tell me she loved me. I would tell her I loved her. We would spend time together again she's gone and we have this seven-year-old girl and we've been able to help fill in the gap and it just it just goes to show the power of relationships and the power of um of empathy and the power of you know what it some things just don't matter in the big grand scheme of things you know, and so doing hair, I haven't done hair for a little girl in so long. My youngest is 15 and a freshman in college, I mean, a freshman in high school. Um, so I haven't done little girl's hair. And she just kind of buffs around and she holds my hand and we just talk. But my relationship with her is a direct result of my relationship with her mom. And I tell you, I, I could not be more honored to step into that place. And I, you know, I did a, a bit of a um, memorial to her or a tribute is what you would call it to her on my page. And I talked about how just like she filled in the gap for me when I could not be there for my daughters, I plan to honor her and do the same for her, for her daughters. Um, really quick. Two, um, she has an older daughter that's 27. She calls me one day and she's like, Miss Latanya, my mom left a gift for you. And I was like, for me? And she said, yes. She said, but there's a story behind it, so I'd like for us to meet. 
So I agreed and we did meet. She hands me a bottle, Jamie, that's probably like about this size. And um, she said, my mother was growing a lavender plant for you last Mother's Day because she knows how much you love lavender. Time out, lavender is a bomb for anything. <laughs> I mean, it's good for your hair. It's good for your skin. It's really good stuff. <laughs> We'll throw so a sponsorship good. in. But, I know we'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> so um so her mother knew this about me and started growing a plant for me, but the plant died before she could give it to mm-hmm. me. And she was a bit embarrassed, so I never got the plant. I never knew anything about it. So her daughter says, I took the <laughs> I took the privilege of extracting all of the oil from that lavender plant and it was in that bottle. And she said, I wanted to know if you would like to have it because my mother would have wanted you to have it. And I thought, first of all, I can't grow a thing. So I am much better off with this oil than I ever would have been with this plant. I'm right here with you. I kill everything that's living. But it just touched my heart so much because, again, who would have known the power of us coming together, extending ourselves in a way that is probably awkward and uncomfortable but we refute the mission right the mission was our daughters our sisters the mission was girl I love you because you have been there for them and vice versa that that took precedent over everything and so when she passed away I was able to still let that be the main thing right and um and so we continue to walk in that space which is it's pretty amazing to see yeah you shared the story with me and a couple things hit me a couple things that are really profound um you know one is around time right our time is fleeting it's the one thing we can't control yeah um and i had a recent i had a recent uh incident uh with my brother this last this last summer Mm. he had an episode where he he's he stopped breathing now thankfully through the work of the paramedics that showed up and my nephew who who provided cpr um he was actually miraculously able to make this uh full recovery but it was this moment of like recognition that we are not guaranteed time and that happens in a moment and and this story reminded me of that that we It's more about, hey, time is fleeting and we cannot waste it. And too often people Mm -hmm. are wasting their time. And that's the second part of that, which is the relationships. We don't prioritize building and maintaining relationships the way that we should. And the worst thing ever is when we need those relationships and it's too late. And it was such a good example of you recognizing that we need to have a relationship. Me and this woman need to have a relationship. And we're going to prioritize that. We're going to make it work. We're going to get out of the uncomfortable. And we're going to figure it out now. And how lucky you are to have done that. So -hmm. when the time came and her time came, that relationship was established for the purpose of you being able to now provide a role model to provide a sense of not that you'll ever replace it but a sense of motherhood to a child who needs it and it's such a great example and a reminder to everyone that our time is fleeting and we cannot waste it so let's look 
at the relationships in our lives, the relationships we need to have, the relationships we don't have, Mm. the relationships that are frictional or fractured. And let's focus our efforts. Let's take ownership of that and build those relationships. Because so true. We don't know when it's our time. We don't know when we need to rely on those relationships to help us. Yes. Yeah, it is so true. And <clears throat> unforgiveness, um, just I was right. And and let's say you, you were right. <laughs> I still take ownership. And I have other relationships that have been fractured. I, we all do. And I determine that, you know what, Latanya, I'm not going to let this stay this way. Right. And it does take me putting forth a little bit more effort and it does take me reaching out a little bit more. And I am willing to do that just based on how important those relationships are. Now, there are some relationships that we find ourselves in and listen, they are not good for us. And we know that they are toxic. They are not good energy. They are not an asset. They're more of a liability time. Also being fleeting means that I need to let those things go that do not serve me because the things that do, they require my focus and they require my resources and my attention. And if I wait until I need it to build it, I'm already too late. hundred percent. It is one of the biggest things we see in working with people is that they do not prioritize those relationships Mm -hmm. until they need something, until it's time where they need to rely on those relationships and those relationships aren't established and everything falls apart it's disappointing it really ends up being a huge disappointment but if we have the foresight of you know what this is important this person is important Um, this life is important and I am really just how can I serve how can I pour into um, how can I make better and the result is I also get better I love the times I get to talk to you because every time I learn so much from you, I'm inspired by you. Your energy is so infectious. You are so good at helping people recognize, you know, how to how to look forward, how to take ownership in their life. I love it. Every time I get a chance to talk to you, I am benefited benefited from that. So thank you for joining today. Do you have any final thoughts as we kind of close this out? We're talking about ownership and this stuff works. Any final thoughts for people out there that are looking for, again, that that reason to take ownership in that life? Yeah. I think just to kind of sum everything up, it is all within us, right? We have the, a lot of times we are the problem, but we are also the solution. And that is so beautiful and that's so powerful. And if we would just dare to go inside, if we would just dare to reflect, if we would just dare to look beyond ourselves, we will find that we have the ability to make the world such a beautiful place. And it starts in our own world and in our own sphere of influence and it literally cascades out. I'm not better than anyone else. No one else is better than me either. <laughs> but um, it it is understanding that, hey, because I know that I'm not any more special, everybody can do this. Everybody can do this stuff, right? It doesn't take a special superpower. It doesn't take a special anything. It only takes us being willing. And that's it. And we gain power by just being willing to own our own life. 
That's it. That's it. That is it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really Thank you appreciate for it. Me.